So this morning we have a wonderful visit from our, our church family in Okahanya. How many of you will, how many of you are aware that we've got a family church in Okahanya, Every Nation Church in Okahanya? And uh, it's going to be a picture of many more churches that we're going to plant throughout the nation. We believe in transforming our society. And so this morning, I, I want us to give a warm welcome to Tian and Marlo is sitting back there, but a warm Every Nation Ventuk welcome to Tian. Won't you stretch forth your hands as we pray for him? So Father, we thank you, Lord, for our brother, Lord, that has come to share with us the word of God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as he pours out his heart, as he shares with us, Lord, that you are pouring out upon them a blessing, Lord God, that they cannot contain. And Father, we embrace them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris and team and all the leaders of every nation, Vintuk, for the opportunity. Um, so we are family that you know that I'm your brother. Right? You're laughing now, but it's true. Why is it true? Why are we family? We've got the same father. So we are family. Okay? Family is not about what you look like. It's about, uh, about what's inside of you. So that's why we are family, and I'm excited to be here. Um, your passion for Jesus is amazing. And it's going to translate more and more into people for Jesus. And that's why you need to build this place higher. And, uh, and uh, put everything you have into this um, campaign that you have. The Bible tells us it is more blessed to give than to receive. So now, I didn't make that up. Jesus is the one that's talking about rewards and all of that Yeah, So that's the Bible. Um, I'm not going to sing a song here. So, that's, so uh, I told you who I am. I'm Tian, but that's my family there. Uh, we used to live in Fixburg. Who knows where Fixburg is? Eastern Free State. Who knows where Lesotho is? It's the the border of Lesotho is in the town. Only town in I think the whole of Africa with a border inside of the town. So a bit of both there, bit of Lesotho, bit of Fixburg. Before that, we uh, my wife and I we full time in ministry. Her name is Marlo. She's sitting there at the back, also expecting our third child later this year. So we're excited. So grow the nation. And then we've got Leah, our daughter, and Christian, uh, our youngest. Um, and uh, before we were full-time in ministry, we were volunteers at a church in Pretoria, Every Nation Church in Pretoria. And before that, I was lost. So like many of you, you got saved in the church through discipleship. Um, through some volunteer that engaged you, and he was so persistent and led you through a one-to-one, led you to the Lord and baptized you, and may that be the picture of how we grow the church. Um, And uh, today I want to share around calling. I want to share something that's really, that's been part of my life for the past month or two, that's just living inside of me. And, And calling remains one of the struggles in life, right? Many people struggle to find their callings. Some people do find it in an instance. Other people, it's, it's like a slower process. Other people don't find it at all. But do you believe that God has goals for you? Do you believe God has a plan for you? Do you believe it? Okay. God has got an individual calling for each and every one. But today, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to step back and try to talk about or teach you something about the foundation of discovering that calling. How many of you know that foundations are important? Without foundations, you'll have nothing to build on. With a faulty foundation, you will not have the life God intended you to have. And that's why I believe many of us, many Christians even, struggle with this thing called calling. Because of a lack of a foundation. So here's one of the truths that I want to put out here today. God reveals the details or the specifics of your individual calling against the backdrop or on the foundation of the calling He has for Christians or disciples in general. 
Okay? That's how God reveals it. And as a Christian, one of your, your first callings are to discover who God says you are. That's one of our callings. That's one of the first foundations you need to be established in. Otherwise, if we don't believe what God says, who and what we are, we might live a life that does not really look like God intended it to look, right? So as Christians, as people, not as Christians, you are being discipled. Everyone is being formed by something. Do you agree? Is that not a scary thought? And the sobering truth is that as a Christian, you're not guaranteed that something else won't try and form you. Something else than the Word of God. We're either being formed by the Word of God, His Spirit, or the flesh, or culture, tradition, the world, the people around us. And that's, for me, that's like super scary. Because that means we run a risk of being deceived. Even as Christians, we can be deceived. What is the worst thing about being deceived? It's deceiving, right? It's deceiving. That's why church family is so important. Okay, so what it translates to is that we run the risk of living a certain way, thinking this is what God has for us, and this is it, and we settle there, and in actual fact, God's got something else in mind for you. Something extraordinary. The Bible speaks about godly living. That is the call of God. And the minute you realize what God says about you, and we'll get to that in a minute, the minute that sinks into your heart, it changes you from the inside, you'll quickly discover that you're also called for an extraordinary life. I'm talking character. A godly life here on earth. And I'll get to that later. That life is also marked by victory. Victory weekend, victory over sin. Freedom, holiness, character, godly living. That's what I'm talking about. God has called each and every one here to that. So John Calvin said, Without proper knowledge of self, there can be no knowledge of God. I'll get, uh, you'll, the more you think about this, the more you, you'll realize how true it is. Without knowledge of God, there can be no knowledge of self. And I think... This really applies to pre-Jesus in your life and post-Jesus in your life. We run a risk of just taking whatever you know about yourself pre-Jesus. You go like copy and paste and post-Jesus. And that's not right. So God says that uh, you are a new creation. Okay, Pre-Jesus, you do discover a few things about yourself. Don't get me wrong. You discover some way or another that you have a sinful nature. You're like just a slave to the flesh. Whatever you see, whatever you think, you just do it. The spirit inside of you is dead. It's not feeding into your soul. It's there, but the lights are off. And then somewhere along the line, you realize, well, I need to be saved. Actually, from myself here. And then, post-Jesus, we should also realize many things about ourselves. Not because who we are. Because, but because who we are in God and God in us. So the first thing I do believe we need to understand is that you have a new nature. Look at the person next to you and say, you have a new nature. It's got implications though. Okay, we'll get to that. The other thing is that you are holy. You have a new DNA. You have a new DNA. Supernaturally something happened in you. And now your spirit is alive. And we'll get to that. So, here's the question that arises in my heart. If all of that is true, new nature, new DNA, and that's a tension, this thing. Why do many Christians live pre-Jesus and post-Jesus fundamentally basically the same? Why are there areas in my life it's just marked by victory, man. I'm like, overcomer. There's holiness. But then, then to be honest, you know, these areas, well, they pretty much look the same pre and post Jesus. 
What's that about? If Jesus says you've got a new DNA and you're holy and all of that, what is this? But the more worrying question is, why do we as Christians sometimes settle there and think that's okay? That's okay. Why do we settle sometimes for a life of mediocrity, average, lukewarmness? And I think one of the answers is we don't know who God says we are. We don't believe that. So look at the person next to you. This is a good exercise. Tell him or her, here are some rules, who you are. But wait. Not allowed to use your name. Neither your occupation. You're not allowed, uh, allowed to lie since we're in the church. Okay? So you've got 10 seconds. Go for it. Who are you? Tell him. Introduce yourself. All right, all right, all right. So now you're just making things up. You're making things up. You're lying in church. So as a starting point this morning, this is our starting point. As a starting point, we're going to talk about, uh, we're talking about the extraordinary life God has called you for. But as a starting point of, for this, we're going to use what God says you are. Okay, so you said something, something now. Now you're going to hear the truth. So if you have a Bible and an app, please follow with. If you don't, just write the scriptures down. We're going to jump around and uh, through various scriptures. The first one is 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18. And the funny thing is, over the whole weekend, most of these scriptures was used here by someone in front. So that's perfect. So here's the first thing. You need to know you're a son and daughter of God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18. I will be. That's a promise. Your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Just forget about inheritance for one second. For one second. I know that's how we think. Inheritance. Think about DNA. Okay, that's what God says. Second thing, you are loved. John seventeen twenty three. This really needs to sink in. I am, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know, get this, that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. How profound is that? Okay. Can you do anything to make God love you more? No. Don't confuse that with how, um, what is the English word? How pleased God is with you. If my son takes a screwdriver and he scratches my car, I'm not all that pleased with him, but I still love him. It's my son. Okay? The scripture talk, talks about um, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's your aim. That's our aim. We read it in Matthew 27, verse 46, about God's love for you, and it's the moment Jesus is on the cross, and he goes, my father, my father. Why have you forsaken me? That's God's love towards you. He turns his back on Jesus, turns to you and me, and he goes, this is for you. So that we can have a relationship. This is how much I love you. And God really loves us. The th uh, third thing you need to understand about yourself, who you are, who God says you are, is that you are justified. Romans 5 verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Justified of what? With sin. Just as you have never sinned. This is who you are. Clean slate. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. We spoke about it yesterday as well. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people to be his very own and to proclaim the wonderful deeds of the one who called you. You are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so you're holy. Everyone knows that. 
but we tend to forget about that last part. That you are knit together in such a way that you must and should and can proclaim His wonderful deeds. That is who you are. A pen was made for, you were made for, to proclaim Him. That's it. And that's why some of us feeling, um, has feelings of frustration in us sometimes. Because we are not doing what we are designed for. This is what God says about you. This is your DNA. If this doesn't get you excited, I'm pretty sure this will. 2 Peter 1, verse 2 to 3. Peter just pops up all over the show this weekend. Um, 2 Peter 1, verse 2 and 3. You have everything you need to live an extraordinary life. Let me read the scripture to you. Grace and peace. Grace will get you grace. Be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. This is the one scripture. If you forget everything I say, remember this. You have everything needed for a godly life. 2 Peter 1 verse 4, just the next verse, it goes on and it says, By which you has, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. God says you are a partaker of the godly, of the divine nature. That's why you have a new nature in you. That's why you have God's DNA in you. Jesus' DNA in you. The last thing God says about you, and this is not all he says about you, this is just that came to mind preparing the sermon, was that you are born of imperishable seed. This is big. You need to understand this. 1 Peter 1 verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring, enduring word of God. Pause for one second. There's something you need to understand about yourself, and it's locked up in this small little word, seed. The first thing you need to understand about a seed is that it's got the potential of the adult plant. Locked up inside of it. All the properties, the the abilities of the adult plant, it's got it. This is what God says. Then he goes further. He says, this imperishable seed that is in you is living and enduring And then some translation says it's the implanted word of God. So the seed inside of you is the word of God. And what does John 1 verse 1 tell us about the word of God? It's active, it's living. In the beginning was the word and the word of God. Um, The word was with God. Are you following what the Bible tells you about yourself? John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus and God. That's why you have his DNA. A new nature. A partaker of the divine nature. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible says you are. If you are born again Christian. Hebrews 4 verse 12. The word of God is alive and powerful. So you've got something inside of you. And the Bible calls it seeds. And it's powerful. And it's alive. Jesus himself says that you and I will do great things on earth. And it's because of what's inside of you, who you are in him, that it said that. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. And I think the kicker for me is the fact that that extraordinary life God has called you for, is meant to be lived out now, in the present age. It's not for some time down the line when you're in heaven and complete and all of that. It's for now already. And sometimes we believe, and you have to really think about this and test your heart, we sometimes believe that we are just sinners, forgiven of sin, left without any power. That's how I was raised. I was raised in the church and I was taught that you are, this is what you are. 
you are flesh, man, you'll, you'll have problems. That's it. Okay? So this is what I was taught when I was growing up. And if you believe that, you nullify the grace of God in your life. You deactivate it at 100%. And we'll get to that scripture for that as well. So listen to what Paul says, speaking to God about his weaknesses. And God just answers him back in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It's important to see power and grace in the same verse here. Power and grace. An extraordinary life, a godly life on earth, starts when you realize, I can't do it. But Him in me can do it. Okay, this is where this whole thing starts. And grace is a deep topic before we get to the nullifying of grace. It's a deep topic, but I think for this morning, it's important to understand there are at least two aspects to grace. It's saving grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8, everyone knows that, saved by grace through faith. But then there's this other grace, or the other dimension rather of grace. And it goes like 2 Peter 1 verse 3, the divine power or the grace of, uh, has given us everything we need for a godly life. So this ability to live an extraordinary life that the Bible speaks about is given to you by grace. And grace has this real empowering side to it. It does not stop the minute you get saved. This is where it only gets started now. This is where the race starts. It doesn't only save you from hell. It empowers you to live a godly life on earth. The Bible talks many times about be light. Be a light to the earth. And I think this is it. The grace inside of you enables you to do this. So you are not just a Christian or a, a person forgiven of sin, left without any power, left without any grace. And maybe you've thought about something like this in the lines of this. I know I'm not living like God wants me to live in all the areas of my life, but thank God for His <sighs> Is this what the New Testament teaches us? See, we quickly to fall back and say grace is just like this big cover up for the scam. Right? But there's an empowering side to grace. That takes you out of what you used to be. That changes your nature. Gives you a new nature, a new DNA. And makes you a light of the world. That draws people. Okay, that's the empowering, empowering part of grace. Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now listen to what Titus says about the grace. It, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. I don't know why the Bible always talks about self-control, right? Many people struggle with self-control and then... And to live godly lives when? In this present age. That's extraordinary living. Okay? So grace not only gives you instructions like the law used to do, it now empowers you. There's a power to it that changes your nature, your being, your whole being. And you are now a son and a God, uh, a son and a daughter of God. Is it natural? For a Christian, a born-again Christian, to sin. Don't get this wrong. Is it natural? Is it natural? You're like, nah, nah. <laughs> Is it natural? Think about your nature. Is it your nature to sin? No, it's not. The Bible teaches you that you've got a new DNA, a new nature. Does it mean Christians will never sin again? Now you're like, oh. Okay, but the Bible goes on and the next verse talks about what to do when you sin. Repent. Repent. Stop. Turn around. The Bible will ne never justify your sin. It won't say it's okay. It raises the bar to godly living. 
to something you and I cannot achieve without grace, the empowering grace. The Bible tells us to repent. If you haven't repented of sin the past couple of days, repent of not repenting. Okay? Because God is just um, and He's faithful. And the Bible tells us He will clean us of all unrighteousness. All. So why do many Christians live as victims? Why do many Christians settle for areas, with areas in their lives that, that doesn't look like God intended it to look? Why do we do that in areas of our lives? I believe, and I'll try and explain this, that some of us sometimes, in my own life, in your life, we've got pipeline issues. Okay? And I'll try and explain it. Although God's grace is freely available, you only enter it by faith. Your whole Christian journey is about faith. Faith in God's word Despite of what you see, despite of what other people say, despite of your emotions, culture, whatever, it's, that's the journey God called it for. And if you don't have faith, you don't have access. Imagine in the, what, the driest part of Namibia. Where's that? It's the south. Okay, somewhere in the south, it hardly ever rains. Let's say it never rains there. Imagine fields. Like there's a cornfield, there's a um, carrot field, strawberries, and there's a river running next to these fields. And there's only one farmer wise enough to connect the pipeline to his strawberry fields and install irrigation. Who's going to have the harvest? The strawberry farmer. Now think about your own life. Okay, That river is the river of grace. Okay, These fields are the areas of your life. Forgiveness of sins, we're quick to connect that, right? What other options do you have? We're like, okay, my Savior, with all respect. But what about living holy? What about divine healing? The area where we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. What about that field? The pipeline that connects you to that river of grace is the pipeline of faith. We need to really stop and think about all the areas of our lives and say, why, why doesn't it look like extraordinary there? Because if you have God in you and you know anything about God, you'll understand there's nothing average or mediocre about God. And He wants you to draw more people. Now, God does not primarily react to your needs. Did you know that? Did you know that? Think about Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. The blind guy sitting there in, is it Jericho? How do you say it in English? Jericho? Jericho? <laughs> okay, wait. so him and his disciples goes into town. Many people there, everyone shouting, everyone has needs. But this one blind guy is this, he's like the son of David. Have mercy on me. He shouts. People rebuke him. They say, quiet down. He's like, man, I've heard about this Jesus. I know he can change my life. I know he can save me. And he shouts louder. What, what does Jesus do? He stops. Your faith moves Jesus. So Jesus stops. He calls the guy. The guy goes to Jesus. Get this. Jesus asks, what can I do for you? The guy's blind. He's like, okay, what can I do for you? But Jesus wants you to say it. Say what you believe. Be specific. He says, Jesus, so that I can see. Jesus tells him, your faith saved you. He tapped into grace through faith. The same with the lady, that, that lady we read about, the ble that had the bleeding issue. Same story. The paralyzed man through the roof, four friends, same story. You only tap into the grace of God through faith. Connect all the areas. One of the other reasons we do settle for mediocrity is because of what we are taught. And there I testify from my own life. Words are seeds. Okay? And what you sow, you'll reap. 
just as the empowering grace of God comes through the word, so also the nullifying, is that an English word? Yes. The nullifying of God's grace also comes through word. If you were taught you are just a sinner, you're powerless, you flesh, you're going to have many struggles, that's exactly what's going to happen. Mark 7, verse 13. Before I read that scripture, maybe you think, how can words of men, teaching, preaching, how can that nullify something so strong and so big as the grace of God? Is that even possible? You're like, mm, I believe some of the things you said, but this, mm-mm, not true. Read the scripture, Mark 7, verse 13. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. That's the NIV. Amplified. So you nullify the authority of the word of God. The authority of the word of God because of your tradition, which you have handed down. And then it goes through elders. Wrong theology. And you do many such things. The authority the Bible speaks of here represents the power of grace to change your life. All the areas of your life. We can nullify that. Hosea, Hosea 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. That's why it's important to understand who God says you are. Not culture, tradition, the world, the flesh, your background. Listen, if God is in you, you have no excuse. I can't go and say, okay, but us Fenters, that's my surname. Man, we are fiery. It's the Fenter blood in me. That's a lie, right? Because I've got a different father now. He changed something in me, and I've got Jesus' blood inside of me. So lastly, I believe some of us, or some people, and I include myself in this, struggle with mediocrity or, or lukewarmness in certain areas as Christians because we forget about the decision maker in our, um, our being, the soul, the heart. Okay, And to understand that, we must quickly just look at those circles. Again, everyone has seen them. Spirit, soul, body. Right? That's the being. That's if you want, want to see, um, if you want to make sure God created you in His image, God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. That goes back to the root of this. Three beings, okay? So that's you. The flesh has got a connection with the outside world through the synthia. What is that again? Senses, okay? So that's your, your flesh. The middle circle is the soul. And uh, many people simplify this to will, intellect, and emotions. I think it's a little bit more complex than that. Because the Bible teaches us like, like the sharpest knife, the sword, the word of God can only penetrate that. So something tells me that it's a bit of a something like entwined gemeng there. Okay? And we'll get to that. And then your inner circle is your spirit. If you take the spirit out, the being collapses. And we see it in creation where God created man from the elements. And he breathed the spirit of life into that being. And then the Bible tells us it was alive. So before you were born again, your spirit is dormant. It's dormant. It's just there. The lights are off. The only inflow you get to your soul is from your body, from your flesh. And that's why you act and, and react a certain way. Now, then, now that you are born again, you've got another inflow. The spirit is alive. It's got com communion with the Spirit of God. Okay? And this is where it gets interesting. Where is the heart in all of this? My picture is not all that clear. That thin line, this, the heart is in the core of your being. But it also goes further than that, I believe, into your soul. Listen to what the Bible says. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
of the heart. The Bible talks about soul, spirit, heart. It's somewhere there. Okay, this is just a, a picture um, of what I believe it is. And then why it is important to check what flows into your heart is Proverbs 4 verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Okay, And we make a mistake by forgetting that your body also wants to have a voice in your decisions. Your flesh and your spirit. But then we must remember that you have the power now to say no to the flesh and listen to the spirit and be transformed. Did you know the minute you got saved, your soul is only starting to being changed now? It's not like that. Now I'm a changed soul. Okay? We read it in James 1 verse 19 to 22. And it starts like this. My dear brothers and sisters. So who are we speaking to here? Christians. Brothers and sisters. Take note of this. Get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, the word God has planted in your hearts, those seeds we spoke about, for it, it has the power to save your souls. He's talking to Christians. It's got the power to save your soul. We must remember that we are being transformed continually. Psalm 19 verse 7 confirms this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And I think that's why sometimes I have areas in my life where I just, I'm not living like God intended it to be. Because the decision maker, the soul, the heart, I forget that, man, this thing needs to be changed all the time. And I must receive the implanted word of God and not whatever seed comes from the outside, from the world. It's very important to know who is discipling you. Watching TV, TV preachers and all of that is good. You don't know them. They don't know you. This is different. This is a relationship. This is, I care for you, man. This is love. It's very important. So ask yourself this question as we get to the, the closing part of this. Who is discipling you? Look at areas of your life. What is discipling me? And uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, if we can put it on there, is the scripture. I, want, I use it myself when I feel like, yo, I think I'm listening to the wrong voice here. And I'm like, that's not who I am. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of Him who, are, who has called us. And I'm like, God has given me everything to live a godly life. And I feed the Word into my being. And for me, it feels like I'm resetting it every time. I'm like, mm, can't go down that road. So we have to be vigilant not to lose the battle around the decision maker. What will happen, just dream with me for one second as I close off. What will happen if everyone here in this building live a life that God intended them to live? Like a godly, extraordinary life. What will happen here? What will happen? Transformation, man. We will be the light that the Bible speaks about. And I want to end off with this scripture. And I really feel it's for this church. Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 5. This is a picture of what will happen to the body of Christ, the church God is coming back for. When we take his word to heart and live like he intended us to live. An extraordinary life. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. It speaks about rising. And when Pastor Chris spoke about up, that came to mind. Sometimes we are waiting for revival to come down. But I think God sits there. He's waiting for it to come up from us. That's inside of you. What, inside of, what is inside of you? Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises again and appears over you. 
Now listen to what will happen. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Why have we not gone after what belongs to God? Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. So, Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your empowering grace. Thank you that you have given us everything to live a godly life here on earth. The ability to be a light. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us. Jesus, may this translate to people, lost people coming home to you. Father, I know you always have an agenda. When you send someone, you want to change lives. And you want to start by the the life that's being sent. So I want to ask you to change us this morning. The way we think about ourselves. May you expose wrong theology in our minds. Take one minute. Just think about what you believe about yourself and what God says about you. And if there's an area of your life where you need to repent, do it now. are changing us and that your grace is enough for us Jesus and we also want to pray for our friends that doesn't know you we want to pray that you will use us to bring them home they belong to you thank you that you have empowered us to claim them back for you Jesus, I just want to bless this church and the leadership. Thank you that you are you are saying this is just the beginning. There's so much more. Thank you for the passion that all the people here have for you. Thank you that that's going to translate to more souls saved. And thank you that you love us. And we just want to bathe in your love for one second Jesus we love you Lord Jesus thank you for all you have done on the cross in the name of Jesus Amen